Okay, so on the Mind of a Football Coach podcast today, we have two special guests, Coach Danny Ramsey and Coach Kyle McIlvaney, who this is his second time on the podcast. Uh, welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. It's good to be here. All right. Thanks, Zach. Man, this is this is awesome. This is a this is a privilege for for us uh, here on the podcast to get you guys on here, Coach Ramsey. If you wouldn't mind going first and, and introducing yourself, and then we'll go to Coach McIlvaney, and then we'll get to some, some practice discussion. Uh, my name is Danny Ramsey. I've been coaching for 23 years. This will be my 24th. Uh, I've been married 25 years, so I didn't go the route of become a coach and then marry a wife. So I'm not sure if she knew what she was getting into when we got started, but she stuck around this long, so I must have done something right. I've uh, been coaching. Uh, I coached the guys right out of college. I coached the guys uh, who I played with the year before, figuring if I can get those guys to call me coach after we just left the recruiting party, I may not tackle anything more difficult than that in my rest of my career. I'm not sure if that's true, but it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good wake up call or a good, good introduction into what coaching was going to be. And uh, got back home to Texas about as quick as I could. I actually, uh, Steve Kazor was my college coach and he coached for Tom Landry. And before he went to the Bears, he had a, one of the assistants there pull him aside and say, hey, you need to stay here in Texas and be a high school coach, and they're going to buy your house and your car, and you'll never have to work another day in your life. You'll be a, they'll be a coach for 30 years, and it'll be great. Hmm. And so he told me that same story. He said, here's the difference, though, Danny. He says, I, I'm not from Texas. You are. You need to go home. And so I was about to follow him. Literally, my wife and I were packing our bags. We were going to actually end up in Detroit. Kyle, you didn't know that, huh? We were on our way to Wayne State in Detroit. That's where Coach K went when he left McPherson. And we were about to follow him for 10 grand. And hell, I'd have spent the 10 grand just paying for the parking, apparently, is what I was told. But <laughs> <laughs> he said they don't even validate parking there. Uh, but anyway, we, we ended up at uh, Houston Christian. We were there for a year. Worked under a guy named Kurt Thor, who's still coaching in uh, the Dallas area. Really great guy. Uh, good Christian guy. Left there, went and chasing the chasing the the ladder up. Went to McPherson. I mean, I went to um, went to Marlin, Texas, where there are a ton of athletes, and uh, learned a lot, a lot of things, a lot of things, what to do, a lot of things, what not to do. But I learned that uh, if you're a good coach, you're gonna wear a whistle, wear a watch. You're gonna bring something to write with and something to write on every day. If you've got those things, you give yourself a chance to win for a number of reasons. But a good coach wears those things. Um, from Marlin, we went to Spring, which is back toward home. My wife and I are both from uh, Westfield High School, which is in Spring District. Um, and I played, and actually, I played for Emory Ballard in high school. Um, so Wishbone Inventor is was my high school head coach. It was phenomenal. Learned everything I ever knew about respect, or ever I've ever learned about respect from that man. <clears throat> so we went went to Spring, and then I was only there for a year, and got a coordinator's job at Cypress Creek High School. Um, was there for five years, topped out, did a lot of really good things, innovative at the time, at least in the Houston area. We were doing some stuff um, that I still do now. But uh, went to Side Creek, got my first head coaching job at Waco High School for three years, following Johnny Tusa, which it seemed to be my – so far it has seemed to be my mantra is if I'm going to get a head coaching job, I take it from somebody that everybody loves mm. <clears throat> when they retire, which puts you in a meat grinder if you haven't gone through that before. But uh, but it was great. The kids there appreciated the things that we were doing. And my wife has gone and taught geometry at each of these places, mm. um, every move that we've made. Uh, became the head coach at Tomball um, following that. 
uh, for five years. And um, then I've most recently been at Heights and Brenham. Heights is in the HISD um, district in Houston. And Brenham is in its own town out here in, uh, it's not in the sticks. It's in, it's in Bluebell country. If you don't know what Bluebell ice cream is, this is where Bluebell is made. It is pretty stinking good. So, mm. and then we're on our way to somewhere. We don't know where the next stop is, but, uh, but uh, our time at Brenham is, is probably through. So. Man, that's awesome, Coach. What a story. I mean, that's – we were talking before the podcast started, and it's cool to hear people's stories, you know, like where you've been, where you're going, how that's all taking place. You know, the common thread is that God's called us to all of those places. I mean, it's not no. – I didn't I didn't try to – you know, I wasn't trying to chase the the dream. That one move I made, like I think we were talking before, mm-hmm. I went from Houston Christian to Marlin, and I was really trying to chase that dream of, okay, let's be a coordinator, let's be a head coach, all that kind of stuff. Heck, I'd only been coaching for three years. I didn't even know what coaching was. Coaching is laundry and and lining a field with diesel and lining a softball field with lye. I mean, it's it's doing it's doing constrenual construction on the field house because it needs to be done and you're not paying somebody to do it, but you got 15 hands, 15 men that are there. You can mm-hmm. tell them what to do, and somebody's bound to know what to do. And this was before Google, but we were doing it. But um but we have found that God has wanted us in certain places specifically for certain periods of time. Mm. And, uh, and that's, that's the truth. Mm. Coach. Yeah, man, that's it. I, my resume I was looking at the other day, I think I've been at eight places and you know, some of that's, you know, layoffs. The school was going through some, some financial things. I was lucky enough to graduate high school in like 08 or nine. So everybody was getting fired then because, you know, people could pay their bills it's at private schools. You know, if you're first guy in, you're the last guy in, you're gone because people right. aren't paying their bills and stuff. And then, uh, but yeah, man, it's wild, wild. So, Coach McIlvaney, let's get yes, your, your background here. We love to do this. The Detroit Tigers hat is just so my, doing it for me tonight, my, by the way. My background started in Michigan, and so far it looks like it's, I don't know where it's going to end, but we're back in Michigan after. So, I'm going into my 18th season. I'll be at St. Mary Catholic Central in Monroe, Michigan. Um, If you draw a line from Detroit, Michigan to Toledo, Ohio, we're smack dab in the middle. So 20 minutes south of Detroit, 20 minutes north of Toledo. Uh, I started my career right out of high school. I was an undergrad at the University of Toledo. Um, Started at Delta High School, which is about 40 minutes outside of Toledo. But it's a volunteer spot for a Hall of Famer. Um, and I know I wanted to learn from someone that was really good. So I sucked it up and made that sacrifice, not knowing any better. Thinking like, oh, hey, this is what everybody does. And uh, ended up being a good thing for me because the guy I coached for then, I still talk to and a mentor by this to this day. Um, he ended up leaving after that year for another job. Um, Ohio is not Texas, but it's pretty good in terms of how they, how big of a deal football is, high school football is. And um, when the bank, when another school came calling for him and the bank offered to buy his home and give him a stipend or give him his new job, uh, he had to go. Um, So add that. So I moved to a school about, I don't know, 15 minutes closer, about a half hour from home, from home at the time. Uh, 
is a rebuilding bad program in a bad situation. But I learned, you know, like Coach Ramsey said, almost what not to do as much as what to do. Um, they're good, hardworking, blue-collar kids. Um, it was almost, even though it was a rural school, it was almost inner city-like in terms of the problems they had in terms of poverty, um, poverty, and you know the other scenarios you run into in a low-income situation, crime, addiction, and all that other those other issues. So, I spent four years there, and like you said, Zach, you know, um, this would have been 2010. And at the time, it was a heartbreak, but because job, you know, budgets and situations, my job was rift. Um, I ended up catching on at Anthony Wayne High School, which is a Division One high school in Ohio, which is the biggest classification. Um, under again, under another Hall of Fame coach, got to see, you know, got to see the wing tee at the highest level in Ohio against good schools. Um, and I would have I would have never left there if it hadn't been for head coaching opportunity. I loved everything about it. It was nothing like going out in front of a pack state in front of four to five thousand people every Friday night and coaching, you know, two platoon coaching a team of a hundred plus kids and two platooning. It was it was mm. awesome. Um loved it. Great, great kids and still friends with those guys from that staff. And then uh I had a longtime friend call me who became the athletic director at a school in Michigan told me, he goes, hey, you know, I'm looking for a head coach. Are you interested? Yeah, sure. And we get to talking, and he tells me, you know, just one thing, they were 0-9 last year. But, you know, I knew – I having known what the school is, I knew they were full of tough kids because the rest the wrestling program's nationally known. I mean, they're nationally ranked every year. Well, come to find out, um, they had four head coaches in one season the year prior. So you had a lot of kids with no that didn't trust adults. Um, and so it was a lot of, you know, hey, this is a football and get back to fundamentals. <laughs> this is a football. Getting back to fundamentals and ultimately really um, building relationships. I remember I did a home visit with almost every kid in the program that year. It took me about a month. But uh, I wouldn't take that back because it taught, you know, it really taught me the ins and outs of building a program uh, and even if you think you're ready to be a head coach you don't know until you do it it's, mm-hmm. you find out you know through blood sweat and tears but uh, so after that I go to high school for five years um, I had a different administration at the time um, to make a long story short though you know, God's blessed I, I end up at my alma mater who St. Mary Catholic Central, we're a Catholic school, um, and they were actually starting the first special education program in the state of Michigan. They wanted to so we add that with coaching football there, and I, I'm lucky to say I'm one of those guys who uh, hasn't. I've not dreaded the. I've not dreaded going to work because of the job. I mean, we all have our days when we don't feel good, but I've never not wanted to go to work because of what I had to do. It's been a great experience for me. Man, that is, that's awesome. That is, that's so cool to hear y'all's stories, man. That's, that's what makes it, I think one of the, that's what makes it being, being cool to be a coach that we get to share (laughs) with each other. Uh, Because it's interesting, you know, coaching in West Virginia, 
poor rule, poor, you know, <laughs> drugs. Uh, beautiful place, though, man. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. I swear it is. I mean, I can look outside my, my outside the outside my house through the through the back window of my kitchen. Yeah, it's just, man, this is such a cool place to live. But there's all there's challenges there too. You know, there's challenges here. It's beautiful, but you know, our county's super rural. We're the only high school in the county. Uh, you know, there's kids that drive an hour and twenty to school every day. Yeah, I mean, legitimately on a bus. So really, you know, we have a thousand or so kids in high school, but only about seven hundred of those can play sports because the other ones are so far out that they just, you know, I mean, they go. Yeah, they can't. They can't really stay for practice because, coach, I got an hour and twenty ride home. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're blessed. I mean, it, we're all blessed to do this as a living. I think you know, it's it's one of those things where we we love what we do. That's that's awesome. So tonight we're going to talk practice. Uh, we're talking about practice. Practice. Pra- practice. Come on. <laughs> Come on, coach. We're talking about practice. Get out of here with that. Just give them the Friday, coach. I've heard people tell me that through my career. Just give them the Friday. I look and I'm like, you're nuts. You know, you're like, insane. That's right. Like, get like, them on this, the bus. Yeah, is this is this Pop Warner? What's going on here? Just get them on the bus. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna just let y'all decide who wants to fire up and go with their practice ideas first and give us give us some some goodness. Should we play like Rochambeau, rock paper scissors or something? Is that what we should do? Just on the podcast <laughs> right here, Rochambeau I'll it up. Matter. I'll go first. We'll get Thank you, Kyle. Out. Appreciate it. So let's see here. I got a list here. I actually did this kind of with uh, James Vent. He's a coach from Texas. Um, good man. I did this with him at Glacier Clinic. So I still got my notes here. Heck yeah. Um, that guy would practice all freaking day long if he could. Yeah. That guy. I, I came, so it was a, a panel we had to do where it was like 20 ideas each. He came in with like 40. Like, exactly. Oh, he covered everybody's ideas. Yep. <laughs> and, he's, and he still made me look good. Like I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. He's a good dude, man. Good man. Um, I'll start with this, though. Let's start with some special teams. So, for example, like when I'm installing punt, Assuming, you know, you have a line to practice field. And I'm, and I say that kind of half <laughs> laughing, half serious, because, you know, like Danny talked about dieseling the f- diesel lining the, f- the fields. And because of the shortages of everything we had last year, we didn't even have a line to practice field till week five. Not to mention our practice fields are repurposed, fi- repurposed land. Do you need lines when you're double tight dead tea? You need lines? All you need is a cone. <laughs> Hey, we have a turf field we practice on, so we got we got <laughs> just a cone and somewhere you know a fence or two, just general yeah. vicinity. But uh, so when stalling punt, we install punt from the sidelines, going sideline to sideline. Mm. Um, so we put a and then we put a different colored cone on each sideline, on each line. I mean, so we know when we're teaching the release, our players know how far to release after the initial one, two, and punch release, and then we also have cones where they know where they have to come down. And we also have a coach that's responsible only for leverage, hmm. leveraging the ball on punt. So, that's so what, we, what we've done on punt, we, so we have an athletic period here in Texas. So we get, you get up to 60 minutes during the school day hmm. that is devoted to athletics. If a kid is in an athletic event, whatever sport it is, 
Um, and so what we used to do um, for special teams is we would spend Tuesday and Wednesday during that whole, the, both of those whole times. So you're going to get two hours a week. And that also allowed us not to have to have a kicker after school all the time, only on Fridays. So if that sucker wanted to get a job, which often is the issue, um, he can do so. Now, we didn't have a whole lot of that, but it allowed for that to be the case. But um, when we would go punt, we actually ran straight offense punt. So we just taught the kicker, point to toe, kick the hoe. <laughs> we wanted him to kick it to the nearest sideline. And if I gained 30 yards net with no return, that's perfect. Mm. And the reason we did this is because we weren't in a situation where we could two platoon. I, I haven't been in too many of those situations, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Or we didn't feel that we could. And so instead of putting that extra mileage on the defensive kids, especially when we were when we were talking about we were slow. And so uh, those defensive guys came at a premium to be running down balls. So if we could take a special team off of their legs, put it on the offensive linemen where they 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 got a cover, but they really don't got a cover. So they like it because they get to cover and tackle a guy assuming that he's going to catch the punt. And two, we're not spending the defensive guys to, to learn how to kick slide, which they don't have time to or spend time doing. The other thing, too, is we're an inside zone team, so we would just run inside zone one side or the other. That's how we blocked it. So you put an H back. So you put an H back on one side. Usually we put him to the field. I mean, to the boundary. Mm. You left your receivers out. So you'd have three wideouts to have gunners, and then you'd have the back behind or next to uh, the quarterback, and then he would move and shift that back to the other H back, and he would back up to seven yards. Mm. So you don't have to change the snapper. His snap normally at a five-yard distance is going to be about the same at seven. He gets the ball at seven. He literally points it. We're going to take one step and kick it. And I don't care if it's end over end. I don't care if it hits a defensive dude in the face. It does not matter to me. I want a 30-yard average, no return. Um, we had one punt in eight years of doing that that got returned for a touchdown. We mm -hmm. punted too far to the middle, and I used a guy that was an actual punter, which I didn't want to, but he really could boot it. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't do it again. I did it one time. And then we had one time where our running back went the wrong direction in our zone scheme, and they had a, they sent a guy up to shoot, and he got us blocked. So we got blocked once and run back once in eight years which I think is pretty good average. And the, the people used to ask me all the time, because we did some things that were outside the box, that being one of them. We actually had a guy from um, – uh, there's a school, I want to say, in Tennessee who called me, and we've had a couple of them, but a college that called us about what we did on punt. They had seen some things we'd done on punt. And so the argument is, okay, well, you got this guy who can punt a ball 40 yards, right? And his hang time is – Let's say it's 4.5. Let's say mm. it's four point. Let's say it's just four point, right, on his hang time, even just four point. Mm. Let's say it's four or five just to get it a better argument. So the problem is if you don't have four guys that run four or five, how are you going to get to that ball? Mm. If you're only punting at 40 yards, that's a 40-yard dash at a four or five. He's going to have the ball before we're there. So mm. in terms of coverage, why would I want to do that? Mm -hmm. and then all those other things that we talked about where we're taking, you know, we don't have to put a defensive guy on there if we can teach three offensive guys to tackle, or if you got to put a defensive guy on there to tackle and you put him out at the gunner spots and you put him out there, but there's still usually, if that's that cat, he's a weapon offensively, so you got to line up as if I can run a play because I'm in an offensive formation and it doesn't matter where I'm at on the field. 
Mm. Um, we did that a couple of times. We're on our own 35, and it's fourth and five, and we pull the ball down and run to play. And nice. so um, if you don't do it, they don't ever honor it. They're going to drop a guy. I didn't really care so much that they dropped the guy because where are they going to put him? Even if they put him on the hash and you're kicking to the sideline, you have an advantage. Mm. If they put him on the hash and you kick it to the open field, now you got a running ball potentially, and he's mm. not going to get a clean catch. So you can play games with that around. But that's when we talked punt, we did a lot of that, and we split it up. And I'm sorry, Kyle, you went punt, and I went all over the place. But you're good. We, you're good. But we would split it up, and we'd go either two segments or three segments on any one of those days. And we've invested a lot of time in punt and then kickoff return. Mm. Uh, those are the things that inevitably guys don't really want to be on. Punt because they don't want to block. Well, if you make it your offensive line, you don't have that problem. That's all they do all day long. If you make a defensive guys, they got to learn how to kick slide and they got to block somebody for any length of time, which they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And you teach them all the time to do what? Get off blocks. So that's not something in their nature. Mm-hmm. But we would split it up where we took the gunners and we would work leverage in terms of tackling and where they needed to be, top shoulder, bottom shoulder, which side of the ball that they needed to be on. We would spend time with that line and those H-backs, running the zone and picking off the edge of whatever was left on the backside of the tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent some time with the quarterbacks where, like I said, it, literally we didn't try to really punt. You're going one-step punt. You're not going to get a whole lot of momentum. I just need the ball to go forward and get 30 yards. And so I would stand on that marker and have them punt it past me between the hash and the uh, – between the numbers and the sideline is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do that in the individual, and then we would come together. When we came together, we almost did a kick-the-field script with those guys from back to the wall all the way to trying to punt and coffin corner and about 10 yards or so on average difference. So we might get – we could get anywhere from five to eight live punts in a five-minute segment. That's pretty good. Mm. And we put defenses in front of them on different days depending on where you're at in the season and that kind of thing. Uh, bring Definitely bring blitzes because you want to see those things happen. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's how we work punts. So. That's awesome. So I'll, there's a couple things that kind of jog my memory. So one I'll say is this, is if you're a head coach and say you need assistance from a younger guy on special teams, I suggest this is put, give him a list of stopwatch times, whether it be, hmm. you know, from on PAT from snap to hold the kick from on punt from snap to kick on. Um, those are little things that even if you don't have a ton of knowledge and special that the next guy can still figure out. Mm. Well, when I was at Dundee, I had so many things going on. You know, head coach was getting off, calling the offense, helping with the defense, and, and trying to help with special teams, but I knew I couldn't give it the full breakdown that I could, that I should. Mm. Um, so I gave, I trained the guy who was actually on your podcast earlier, Spencer, um, just about stopwatch times. And you can, t- you can learn a lot from that, not only on special on offense, but particularly in special teams as you're scouting. Mm. And I'll throw another idea out there is, you know, when you're installing punt, if you want to save their legs during the grind of two-a-days, you know, for us in Michigan, a school, so to give us a little background at, about SMCC, we have about 25 to 30 kids on varsity, another 25 to 30 kids on JV. Our JVs play on Thursday nights. Um, under the Michigan rule, they can play on special. If they play in JV, on, say they play the whole JV game on Thursdays, they can play on 
special teams on Friday nights for varsity. Okay, so that's a bonus for me as a special teams coordinator. But however, if you want to save their legs during two days, um, some we've done is as we kind of we call it a pun off where we will have our varsity punting to a varsity returner, and then five yards behind that returner is the JV punt ready to go. Our returner will catch the ball, return the ball, catch the ball. Then he turns around and he throws it back to our JV punt team, who then punts it. They release only for 10 yards. And we're looking for that punt, the, those initial steps, that punch, and then releasing the lanes. And then we repeat it going back and forth, rapid fire for 10 minutes. Or even less than that, really. It's like seven minutes, eight minutes, depending on the period. But. Mm-hmm. And we're JVs punting to a JV returner, who then turns around and throws it five yards back to our punt, our varsity punt. Just back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. We try to find ways that we can get efficient with our time, but get as many reps as possible. We're not one of those teams that has the, the five-minute period timers. And we might go eight minutes here, five minutes here, then we're on track for 20 minutes. But that's another mm-hmm. story. <laughs> but, hey, we're power for 20 minutes. But still, we, uh, we're really unorthodox with our time periods. And we try to fit as much in as we can. So there's mm-hmm. just a couple ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's- the 10-yard fan is common, too. We put those guys on landmarks and... I want them to get to those landmarks by the time they get to 10 yards, no matter what they're hearing. But that's, yep. that was big for us. Cause even if, you know, offensive linemen who are down the field are like elephants on ice. Like there, nobody wants to, you don't want to mess with those guys or get in their way, but they're really hard to cut. They're not making a bunch of shifts and moves, but if the web comes out and looks like they got no, the, the returner comes out and he looks like he's got nowhere to run because all of that mass of humanity is covering space and it makes them indecisive and that helps. So we, mm-hmm. we can get them by 10 yards after they've blocked to get to their landmarks, covering numbers to numbers, then we've got a big net there that, they, that they're going to have to maneuver around. Mm. That's the ticket in high school, isn't it, trying to figure out how much time you need to be good at these skills? There's never enough time in the day. It's just a matter of making the most of the time you got. Mm. It's, if you it's know budgeting. You got, it's yeah. budgeting. It's yeah. like budgeting your own stinking checkbook at home. Like we do it offensively, and I, I won't go into that right now because it takes forever. But you know, there's a 65 play budget. When we when we budget on offense or defense for that matter, we're only going to use 65 plays, and that's 65 calls on the whole because we won't get enough. There's not enough time for us to practice any more than that, and you're not going to call that many in a game most of the time because you're not going to call each one of them. You're going to call this one like six times. You're going to call this one like eight times, you know, whatever. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. going to be one for one. And so you got to be prepared for everything, but you got to be able to practice it. Cause if you can't, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at putting yourself in a rough spot. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there was a study out there. I forget it was by, it was by an NFL offensive line coach. I want to say his name was Larry Zierlin. I think. Zerline. Zerline. Yeah. Yes, sir. And he did a study over, it was like a 10-year study of NFL offensive play calls. And he found if you didn't call a play more than 3.4, so let's say for the argument four times in a game, it wasn't worth having. And that was based on NFL practice times. And I, But think about how long their games are, too, compared to us. So mm-hmm. it's 
Mm. Oh, the fun thing about theirs is they're going to run freaking inside zone and outside zone and stretch and power and dart and trap and GT. And for them, that's a play. For us, if you're calling GT, that's great. But Or you're calling inside zone, that's great too. But what goes along with that and from what formation? Because to us, if you call zone out of doubles and then you turn around and you call zone out of Trump and then you turn around and you call zone out of tack left slot right that's three different plays those mm. are three completely different. now to the line in teaching no but in terms of what it is we're learning um i'm very much about simplicity especially for the five dudes up front because they got to play against a dude that's 280 pounds craps on lightning and runs a 4640 i mean it, you know that, that every down that guy's breathing snot bubbles every down to try to get to the quarterback or the running back or whatever. And myself, if I'm playing offensive line, I'm the dude who got picked last for freaking Red Rover. So yep. that's, that's not a fair fight. <laughs> that's not a fair fight. And so we want to give them every advantage that we can. So if we can, we work on what's called the block of five, and that includes in spe- in, uh, in special teams. So we try to, to make everything fit a family. So, for instance, we don't call it special teams. We call it special forces because it sounds cooler. That's the bottom line. We buy black jerseys because all the kids want to wear black jerseys. Like, uh-oh, y'all froze on me. I got so you, Coach. Yeah. Um, we buy black jerseys for Special Forces, too, because the black jerseys are cooler, even though they're not cooler, like, weather-wise, especially not down here. But the kids want to wear black jerseys. And so um, we, we we call it Special Forces for a reason. We don't call it 707. We call it dogfight. We don't call it uh, – Inside run, we call it trenches because kids can word associate all of those things to what it is your intent is during those times. And so to us, that's just important. Same thing goes with play calls. If I'm calling the zone and I can make it just the zone and make it look like whatever else with, you know, people call it smoke and mirrors formationally or whether we're motioning a guy or whatever. Great. Let's do that. But for the line, all they're going to hear is the same word. That's really, really important for us. Hmm. Beautiful. All right, Kyle, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to the next one. All right. So I'm going to jump over here a little bit, but something we do uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday is we'll start off with a 10 minute correction period. So it goes off our practice film. So, um, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have film practice, awesome. Uh, I will say this. If you're able to get your hands on one of those drones to film practice, it's the best practice view. You can ever, I mean, it's awesome. Um, in Michigan, unfortunately, you can't use them for games yet. In Ohio, you can, but we can use them for practice. And it gives you, especially special teams, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But if you can film practice, start off. And that 10 minutes, they don't even have to wear their helmets. Just instead of taking them from where they sat in a classroom for eight hours or seven hours, whatever your day looks like, I'm going to put them in another classroom, expecting them to focus, put them out on the practice field, take their helmets off, and then correct everything. Go through your notes, take four or five notes from your position coaches, correct it on the run there, and then go through your warm-ups. Um, another thing we'll do is for our warm-ups, depending on the day, we warm up by individual position group. So the guard, instead of doing – you know, and there's nothing wrong with the people that do the dynamic and static stretch stuff. It's just for us, like, okay, if our linebackers are going to do the, you know, the old school knee high over agility bags, 
we can do that as part of their warm-up. Mm. Why not? Our defensive line can do their stance and get-offs under a shoot as a part of warm-ups. Then we'll take five minutes to static stretch before we get rolling. But, again, just goes back to, you know, budgeting your time, like Coach Ramsey said. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge warm-up fan. I know you got to get your body rolling, but we use the same two-minute warm-up of freaking high knees and push-ups. And about the only thing that we did that was close to, you know, new tech or new technology, new uh, terminology, I guess, was we would – it's old school, but it was the best thing we could do for necks. And we found that it was pretty good from a concussion standpoint. Is the stronger your neck is, the better you are. Is get down on all fours and have that guy press on your head, pull on your forehead – side to side on your, on your, and it's, you're talking about a 10 count. It's not long, but that thing invests a bunch. Cause really you're talking about just resistance training on the neck, which was huge. We found it to be huge. I wish I could say we had a study that we could send out somewhere. We did it within our own group, but we found that that helped um, uh, practice wise a bunch. And then for us, like in terms of warm up, depending on where we've been, uh, only time we static stretch is for show when you're at a game. Because everybody expects you to freaking put your feet together and right over left and all that stuff. It's totally for a game. We don't do it during the during the practice at all. We would do the dynamic stretch, whatever it is, usually from like hash to sideline um, or maybe both hashes to both sidelines, depending on how many guys we got. That's it. We'll mm -hmm. knock that stuff out, get a break, and go to regular drills. And I would much rather – and, Kyle, I haven't done this, but um, I would much rather us warm up inside of – uh, inside of your position groups for sure because you're doing football specific moves and all of that stuff needs to be warmed up but if you can if you can pace wise treat it as a warm-up to me that's a much better right. idea we just haven't done it where i've been but I, I, that's a much better idea mm. yeah. yeah that's a great that's awesome man i've had people talk about they run plays to get warmed up so like they'll run offensive plays to get themselves lathered up a little bit uh to it's get going that kind of marries the two ideas of what Kyle's talking about. We did that. We do that oftentimes too, where we, so we would split. We don't ever have a segment that's longer than 10 minutes. Um, and if we're in a spot for 10 minutes, a lot of times we used to do, we take some really up to date uh, approaches to some things. Brian Kane is a, is a big, uh, I look to him for a bunch of mental conditioning, mental training things. And so, um, you know, he suggested a couple of different deals and he's not football specific, but I know they did them. Uh, he was working with Morris quite a bit because he lived in Dallas at about the time Morris was at SMU. And mm -hmm. so you can find film of those guys in their pre-practice where they're working on what their release mechanism is for a play before. So they'll all get on the ball, they'll run the snap count, they'll run the play, and they'll take two steps into their play, and then they'll reset. But you'll see them all do the same reset. Like they'll turn to the sideline, pull their mask, and come back to whatever it is. And it's weird because it's like a freaking choreographed dance. There's 11 dudes. and Actually, there's 22 because it's first team, second team, and then the rest of the guys. And so there's 22 guys out there looking like they're doing a happy feet, look like some kind of choreographed dance. Oh, to man. reset their mind based on whatever happened on the last play doesn't matter because the most important play is the next play. So we would mm. do similar things. I can't tell you that we were that organized and you couldn't film it and look at it that way, but um, we would do, we would, we would establish whatever our flush mechanism was and a physical mechanism is big for your mind because you can't tell the difference. And then the other thing we would do is go a super slow-mo for a period. So we might go a 10 minute segment of individual or 10 minute segment of group, uh, whether it's 
front seven or whatever it is, whatever your grouping is, and we go in super slow motion with a play against us, maybe our the thing that we've defended the worst, and mm. we would go in super slow motion as to what steps we should be taking, where we should fit, and what that should look like so that your mind can slow it all down. And you want to talk about hard. Like, it's hard to go fast if you're not fast. But it's even harder, no matter if you're fast or slow, to go in, like, super slow motion toward whatever it is and feel every nuance. And we felt like that helped us a bunch, just changing the pace mm. um, for their focus to change. As a, as a, that may be one of the most out-there ideas that we that we put together. But it, it we felt like it helped us quite a bit. Mm, and that's that really good. You about once every two weeks or whatever, something where you're really not seeing a fit to something or, or not seeing a, 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 the where you're supposed to hit the hole or whatever it is. Um, that's where we tried to apply it. Mm. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's kind of like the old school wing T uh, bird dogging where they blow a whistle. You take your first step, blow a whistle, take your second step, third whistle, third step. And then you can say, walk it out. And they walk out their play. And- yeah which is breaking it down into the minute, you know, the minute steps of each play. Um, mm. We would know, teach, uh, you know, it's funny, Kyle, I was offensive line guy for the longest time, and a buddy of mine and I were talking, I guess it was in the fall, and I said, you know, I, you know, if somebody asked me, and I have to say that I'm an expert, if I had to pick an expertise, I'd say it's offensive line. And he'd say, really? And I was like, yeah. And he said, coach, you're way better quarterbacks coach. And I was like, what and and he said coach go back and look at all your offenses and look which ones were the more productive and the funny thing is is quarterback wise like I didn't spend I spent a little bit of time and I can't even tell you who the guy's name was um I want to say he was a UCLA quarterbacks coach at one point in time I know that I listened a lot to um uh Norm Chow but he wasn't teaching mechanics of quarterbacks he the, the the parts he did teach was lower body but but so for me, when, when I heard that from him and then the other guy that was teaching mechanics, for me, I've never been in a situation where I had a quarterback for a number of years in a row that mm. I could work with him from a freshman to a sophomore to a junior to, to change those mechanics. And nowadays, I think I'm past that, pro, that part of doing that. Unless I was pr- teaching like the private lesson guys now that are teaching quarterbacks how to do whatever or receivers or whatever else heck they're learning all of that stuff from those guys so as a high school coach in the limited amount of time that i have i don't have time to mess with his arm circle i don't have time to mess with where his shoulders are i can talk to him where we're supposed to be but i don't have a whole lot of time to drill those things when he's going mm-hmm. paying this guy 50 bucks a lesson like he's going to hit lessons from baseball to learn all of that stuff i don't want to mess those things up what i'd rather do is take the tools he has no matter how he's been taught make the feet fit the scheme, and then just let him play. Hmm. I, I like that so, you're saying how the feet hit, fit the scheme. I like that a lot. Um, hmm. through. Like, that's how that's how we coach quarterbacks. Hmm. Uh, we run the inside zone, and our quarterbacks, you know, let our backs inside car, that back is going to – or that quarterback's going to take a step with the same side foot He's going to jam that heel in the front side of the gap, and he's going to freeze with the ball back on the back hip so he can read it from back hip to front hip. Um, mm. That's the exact same way that I would coach offensive line. If we're coaching inside zone, I'm going to teach them one step. They're going to cock their guns, put them in their titty holsters. They're going to get a flat back. They're going to have a jet plane takeoff, no helicopters. And so it's 
it's funny that you say that in terms of old school. I may be the oldest school quarterback coach ever known to mankind. I don't know. Heck yeah. I think offensive line coaches make really good coaches anywhere, though. Because you have to be so technical as an offensive line coach. Because like you said, Coach, you're playing with the guys that, that got picked last for Red Rover. You ain't lying. And that guy's got to learn how to react mm. most of the time. So if I can keep that out of his budget. And then um, he's, 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 the, he's the non-athlete. Now, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you got guys that are 190 pounds and they got to pull because that's who you got. Mm. And you're running pin and pull stuff and lots of man schemes or gap schemes because your angles work. And I get it. But if he's not a technician, you're missing it, especially on offensive line. And so for me, if you got a guy like, for instance, first year we come into Tomball, we had two really spectacular uh, suspects at quarterback. And then we had a third string quarterback who was the best quarterback for the other team ever. And so, <laughs> so when I come in, we get the guys and we have, we don't have spring ball. We don't have time, but we have them in the spring. And one of them is six, four, he's two twenty. This is a pretty looking son of a gun. If we're going to run zone and option, man, if they got to tackle this guy, I'm thinking to myself, man, we got a shot with this cat. He comes in the first day of two days going straight baseball. What? Uh, and and be, before that, we were coming in and we're trying to play seven on seven. And the other guy we had was a super athlete, four, five, 40, great looking kid, played a little bit of quarterback as a junior, was going to really be the dude as a senior. And he's got a labrum tear that he's not – he's thinking about whether or not he's going to, to do surgery because he's also a baseball player. Mm. And so he's he's injured all summer. So when we go in to the seven-on-seven seven leagues in the summer, we got the best quarterback for everybody else's team and a receiver who I said, man, this guy – like he's got some moxie. He'd been on the varsity for, for two years, but he's a straight receiver. He'd never played quarterback. Mm. And we made him a quarterback in that summer and and – like I needed stuff that was going to be simple enough for this guy to know and learn in a very short amount of time. And so um, to me, that was, that was a marriage made in heaven because offensive line wise, you're teaching the guy who's not athletic to be athletic. How can you be athletic or make him a little bit more athletic and quarterback wise at that time, we were just trying to get that guy to be able to function. Um, and then luckily he was able to function. Well, he was a general, he was everything you'd want in a quarterback except for tall and except for fast, because he wasn't either one of those things. But he was accurate. He was on time, and he had he had moxie. You know, he had savvy. He he would he went into when we went into the playoffs that first year. He had 19 touchdown passes and two interceptions, and it was all because he didn't have a problem with chucking that thing and making it a souvenir for somebody in the stands on a situation where he couldn't throw a ball. He just made the smart choice, and uh, there's something to be said for simplicity that way, in my opinion. Uh-huh. That's awesome, Coach. Um, I'll get one. It kind of goes back to, you know, and, of course, keeping it simple, taking advantage, budgeting your time. Um, we run a drill. We call it trap and throw. But I guess you could do it you, whether your your main play was zone or duo, whatever. And what we do is so on one half of the field, we have – for us, we're a double tight T team. But, okay, you know, use your imagination to fit your offense here. Um, we'll have – quarterback and our fullback and then our tight ends and our halfback. So our, you know, our T backfield plus our tight ends and our center down there. And on the other side of the field, we'll have a center quarterback and our guards and tackles. And while on one side of the field, we're going through all of our pass plays on the other side, we're repping our 31 and 32 fullback trap. 
nonstop. I mean, 31, go, 32, go. All those plays are on a stopwatch, too. Um, we try to run trap from snap to the fullback breaking the line of scrimmage in 0.98 seconds because we figure the fullback can break this line of scrimmage in one second. He's going to fall forward for three yards. Hmm. You know, if you watch the good Naval, you know, service academy teams, you watch them on that fullback dive when they give it on the triple or whatever. It's, it's around one second. Um, and that's, you know, fast versus fast. Hmm. But uh, my point being is even if it's a, you know, you're a spread team, you could have your receivers down there, the quarterback and your halfback run zone or, you know, and then on top, on one side down, you know, your quarterback half back and your line running zone down on one side if you're 10 personnel. On the other side, you got your quarterback, the next half back, in two by two or trips, whatever your formation may be, running your pass. Hmm. And we'll rotate, we'll do that for 20 minutes and we'll rotate the quarterback and the half back, or the, well, for us, quarterback and the fullback every five minutes. So we're going and we're trying to get as many reps as we can. But, um, that's a good drill. We do it for all of our, um, we call it our shellfish game. So it's bubble screen, which we call crawfish. Yep. The fake crawfish with the ball over the top is a lobster because a big crawfish is a lobster, right? We call it uh, oyster. If it's the outside guy running the now screen, mm. we call that oyster. And then if you leave an oyster long enough, it becomes a pearl. Pearl. So pearl is the home run off of that. So you're faking with the, inside slot guy and then he becomes the rail guy mm. um but we try to get four perfect repetitions and so what we tell them is and it's detailed but they we've done it in about two minutes and 31 seconds on a, on a record like that's our record but we try to get it done in third in three minutes where we're going four repetitions so you got two quarterbacks two running backs that are blocking off the edges or not depending on whether or not the quarterback's giving him the, the signal um, you need two coaches or two, you know, injured guys or whatever to snap the ball to them. And then your outside receivers you have on either side. And so they're running crawfish. So we're all running crawfish, which means he's running it, catching the ball, getting outside and sprinting five yards. The outside receiver is blocking for a full blown sprint of five and a half yards. We say five and a half just to get him past those lines, but we want a full sprint. Can't jog off. Can't act like you're, you know, playing with your girlfriend. You got to get up there and act like you're blocking somebody for a period of time. If that one is perfect repetition, we want four in a row. And then we move on to lobster and then we move on to oyster and then we move on to pearl. So we're looking for 16 repetitions, which mm -hmm. technically gives us 32 because you're working it to both sides. Um, the quarterbacks rotate every throw. Uh, and then the receivers rotate sides because our X's and Y's don't flip, but we want to give them a chance to be able to play any of those spots. And yeah, that's that's exactly what we're doing with those guys at that time is we're trying to get as many repetitions as possible because we can tag those shellfish to any of our run game and it becomes uncovered RPOs, not something we're reading, although we can read it later. But if this becomes second nature, you can do a lot with it. And so that's what we try to do. That's an everyday, everyday drill, hmm. um, rapid fire as quickly as possible. And if we don't, if we drop a ball, like that's three push-ups as a reminder. The ball's the most important thing on the field. If we don't tuck the ball at any of those positions, that's three push-ups, and it does not count as a perfect rep. If we loaf on the block, that does not count. So we're going back on starting over the count every time that we mess it up. Now, we'll do this. We'll get four crawfishes in a row, and I'll move on to lobster. I'm not going all the way back to crawfish to get it, if that makes sense. We'll get the four in a row. Um, 
but we only allow it. We, we start with a 10 minute time limit mm. and then I cut it to five whenever I feel like we got to get to this. Um, because otherwise they'll just lollygag that sucker. Like when you, when you give them answers to tests or give them a review where they, you know, they think you're going to give it to them because they owed it. I cut it to five and said, you got to get it under five or we're going to go do something else that you don't like. So. Mm. Hey, have you all ever heard of air raid teams do something called bandit drill? So we do like for team for us, like on Wednesdays, we'll put the ball on the minus 10 left hash or right hash. Run a play, ball goes ten yards to the op- to the, uh, to the next to the opposite hash. So, if you start oh, yeah. the minus ten left hash, goes the minus twenty right hash, then just up and down the field zigzag. No we matter. We call that perfect play. Perfect play. Yeah. We call man. that perfect play. We and the same things are true. So it. we're looking for linemen with great pad level. We're looking for run the play all the way through the quarterbacks. All the receivers have to be doing the right things and not jogging off the ball. Yeah, we're look- yeah. we only do it four plays, mm-hmm. and then bring the next group. Mm-hmm. So ones might line up. You put it on, let's say it's on the forty, and mm-hmm. you put the ball four random spots. Mm-hmm. Start it, call it from the sideline, get it, and that way we try to get our times too from that time. We don't. I I haven't gone so far. Number one, I can't find enough dudes to give them a stopwatch to pull Kyle's idea, but it would be great. But we have done it where a coach has got it on a watch, and we try to get a snap off. So with a forty second clock, we're trying to get a snap off by the time twenty five seconds are left. Mm-hmm. On the- if we can at all do, if, if it's at all possible, it's only four plays, but we find that it builds up some stamina. And again, you're looking for perfect plays. So, well, and I yeah. like that too. If you're talking about the 40 going in, you know, four plays to scoring, it's putting your kids in different situational spots too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of builds a little bit of football IQ and on the go. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it helps us get started and get your mm-hmm. engines running without having yeah. to do something like an Oklahoma drill that nobody wants to do. And, just gets people hurt or whatever. Yeah, it might get them fired up, but their legs aren't flowing. So we'll start practice a lot of times with perfect play and then mm. roll right into the crawfish game with the, when the linemen go over to work line stuff now. We'll work our, our shellfish game right off the bat so that they really get lathered up before we get going. Mm, that's awesome. Coach, let's do a couple more, and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll wrap it up. Um, I'll talk about this since we were talking about offensive line play a lot. So we're a big sled team. We have a seven-man sled. Um, for us, we teach our kids to coach each other when they're on the seven-man. So, for example, our first line is obviously they're repping. The, they're repping, okay? They're doing you know, right shoulder, left step, whatever. Okay. Our second-line kids, they're coaching. Hmm. Our third-in-line, they're, they're taking mental reps. And then we say if you're fourth-in-line, you can catch your breath, but – Point being, I'm one guy with, you know, I can maybe see two kids, three kids if I'm really looking good. But the other guy, if I say I catch, say I catch a guy screwing up and I blow the whistle to stop, I'm not calling on the kid that screwed up. I'm calling on the kid behind him. Hey, mm-hmm. What'd your buddy do wrong? You know, and if they can say, you know, well, he used wrong shoulder with his, with the wrong step or, you know, whatever. But, and what it does is, it's reinforcing those mental reps and it's reinforcing those kids building football, you know, IQ and what you do. Hmm. Um, because ultimately this is, we, we only have so much time. We're trying to get as many reps out of kids as we can. And to by them seeing it, the better they can become mentally at what you do, the faster they're going to play. Hmm. That's a great idea. 
we we put them it's funny because we're talking about this from two different angles because i'm not a big sled guy at all like i could give crap less when we get on sled we do a lot of mental stuff and that's harder on the kids i think for sure but it's a lot easier to point those things out and the same thing is true in terms of what you're talking about the guys that are behind that front row have to see they get to mimic what's happening in front of them but I like the idea of asking those guys to coach the guy in front of them. That's well, good. Well, and where it came from was really not a sled drill. It came from team offense because, okay, if you're the if you're backup guy, the back, you know, you're the second huddle. What are you doing? You're not listening to coach. You're just watching the guy in front of you go right. You so should the be. First guy goes and he screws up, and the coach. So obviously, as the coach, you get pissed because ten seconds later, when the second huddle goes, that second right guard makes the same, same screw mistake. up happens. And it's, <laughs> So that's where it kind of stemmed from was, no, we're going to become experts in what we do. And yeah, that's a great idea, though, because now, you know, if, if little Johnny screws it up at right guard and the right guard backup is little Freddie and little Freddie doesn't know the answer as to why he's getting put in right now, because the other guy is going to do up downs. You're going to end up with the same repetition unless he knows what to do. That's a heck of a deal. Right. That's good. That's awesome, man. Shoot, Kyle, let's get one more then. Let's do it. Um, let's see here. Oh, jeez. Oh, geez. Just steal it from Vince list. You already got it. It's all right. <laughs> right. He's written, he's written like 300 books, by the way. <laughs> he's the, he's awesome. I'll tell yeah. you what, read his book, finding faith. Heck it's yeah. Excellent. Um, so last one I'll add in here is this. And then I, I say this because we're, we're not a no huddle team. Actually, I'll, I'll skip down. I'll go down to defense here. So for defense, we have a our inside run is called muscle drill. We give our scout team and we practice this before practice and we do it in a meeting too. We give our, them our their top, our opponent's top three runs and then we give them a signal for left or right. That's it. So our scout team is only going to know our opponent's top three runs and how to run it left and right. So when we go to inside run or what we call muscle drill, our coach literally will play, hold up a finger for play number one, which say is, let's just say is inside zone. Finger number two fingers up is, I don't know, power, we'll say. Three is, I don't know, we'll say is ISO. So all our coach, our defensive coordinator does, hold up you know, finger for play number one, points left or right, and we go against our scout team defense. And, I mean, our against our team, our first team defense. Yeah, team offense, yeah, offense, yeah. yeah. And we'll do that. And our goal is to try to get two reps a minute. Mm. And mm. sometimes we'll even have two offensive huddles going, two scout offensive huddles going. So it's just, whoop, next guys are in. Play this, left or right, you know. And, our, and obviously the defensive coordinator is standing behind our first team defense's back. So they don't know which way he's pointing, which what, what finger he's holding up. And it's it's just rapid fire, boom, boom, and. Hmm. We figure, you know, if we can't stop their top three runs, then it's really not going to matter what we do. So, is that all you invest in in inside run, Kyle? Yep. Those three runs, their top three runs. Their top three runs. That's it. I like it. When we were, um, I went and uh, did a bunch of studying and went to um, Argyle and watched uh, or talked to Todd Rogers up there because those guys are freaking good every year in and year out. They're in the, the northern Dallas area. And uh, they've been the state championship game. I don't know how many times in a row. And they play the same coverage every down. They line up the exact same to every formation. It does not make a crap what you line up in. Yep. They line up the exact same. They're very simple. 
Um, I remember talking to their their defensive coordinator at the time, and he was like, Coach, man, we don't get a whole lot of time. We don't have extra defensive periods. Um, we get 45 minutes on defense, and that's it. And when we get the team, we get 10 plays. That's it. We don't get any extra plays, no nothing. It's their top 10 plays. And he said he don't ever want to see a trick play. They get one trick play a week. So if the other team has run a bag full of trick plays, you're only going to get to see their best one at practice. He just believes that what and they run a lot of man coverage in their defense because they run a lot of man coverage. Um, you know, they don't have to decide a bunch of things as long as I know who got who. You know, you're really working on what the line scheme is from that standpoint and the way that they teach their rules. You're only going to be able to do certain things. So they work on those certain things in their individual. So really, it doesn't matter theoretically to them. It doesn't matter what you run at them. They follow their rules and it puts them in the right place to make plays. But uh, but that simplicity was crazy for me because we used to try to cover so much. And then uh, we started using the data uh, analytics quite a bit after after I went and made that visit. Those that's uh, that spring, I went and visited three different schools that I thought were great with similar athletes to what we had. Uh, and that made a big difference on what we were doing because it's simplified, which I was really, really good. I, I was I was thankful for. They play, they play bear cover one every snap, don't they? Every stinking snap, man. Yeah. Every snap. And they will play. They are much in the belief that it don't matter if I am the slowest dude in, in the on the planet. It does not matter. They've got techniques to teach that kid to disrupt the timing of him being in the route. Mm. And they do a great job, man. That's awesome, man. There's That's something awesome. to be said about that simplicity because they don't have four four guys running all over the place. Mm. Now, they got plenty of money, and they don't even sell sodas anywhere in that county, I don't think. They sell freaking sports drinks and all kinds of stuff. Their school has no sodas, no none of that. It's all energy drinks and sports drinks and things that are good for you, like it, granola in their in their uh, machines. I'm serious. So they're 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 well oiled machines and prepared, but their simplicity is golden. And that's awesome, man, guys. Thank y'all for coming on and doing this. This is awesome. You guys taking the time to talk with us and and do all this. This is fantastic. Anytime, man. I appreciate it. Man. Um, any, you know, any nuggets of wisdom to the guys out there looking to improve their practice schedule? What do you, what do you think? Let's, we'll start with, uh, we'll start with Kyle. Kyle, what do you think? Uh, what are some nuggets you've learned that we haven't shared yet about being better at practice? I'll just say this. Being as I, I was a head coach at, I don't know. I was an interim head coach at like 23 once. And then mm. a full-time head coach at, 28 i'll say this is go back and study how many plays in a game you actually run versus mm. how much you practice mm. i think you'll be surprised whether it's offense or defense even how many defensive calls you actually call in a game versus how many calls you practice throughout the week or how many offensive play calls you have in a game versus how many you practice in a week and you're going to find out you do way much more than you probably should. I get it. Everybody need, wants to have answers always. But there, I think there's different ways to get your answers without having, you know, an exuberant amount of play calls during the week. The week. But uh, I don't know. That's, that's just me. That's awesome. Coach Ramsey, any, uh, any advice that you'd like to share? Um, I, you know, mine goes along with what Kyle was saying, but I would just say, you know, simplicity is is critical. You can be multiple through simplicity. The better you know the things that you are trying to do, 
the better you're going to be. I tell guys, you know, offensive line, and actually it's not an offensive line wise, anybody that's blocking, there are three things that you need to know because all the teams you're going to play are going to be well coached. They're all going to invest their time in things like podcasts. They're going to go to, to Glazier clinics. They're going to go to clinics that are around them. They're going to go to visit colleges. So they're going to be well coached. Um, but I would say these, like when we teach blockers, we teach them these three things. If it crosses your face, this is a commandments according to Ramsey. If it crosses your face, take it. Because if it's crossing your face, something is coming to fill it somewhere else because they're going to be sound. They're not going to send four guys in the same gap. So mm -hmm. if it crosses your face and you're blocking, kickoff return, punt, offensive line, receiver, if it crosses your face, take it. Second one is never leave a block to get a block. So mm. it's one thing to get pushed off and get taken over if you're on, say, running stretch or outside zone or some kind of combination. But it's a completely different thing for you to leave a block that you are engaged in and go get another one. If you think about it from a selfless perspective, which is what we're trying to teach in football in the first place, the guy who's behind you running the football believes that you have a block. Whether you're blocking him to oblivion or he's kicking your butt straight back, if you're connected to that cat, you're blocking him. So when he makes his cut, he's making it based off of that evidence. If you disappear and leave the evidence in front of him, he's going to get tackled inevitably. So if you stay on that block, if you railroad that guy and another guy makes the tackle two yards up the field, great. If, because if you leave it, he's going to get the blindside hit on your back and the ball's going to be out of his hands. The third thing is when in doubt, pick one out. If you, you got a brain fart and you step up and you've been studying all week this play and all of a sudden you're just exhausted, whatever's happened, um, your buddy is looking at your girlfriend in the stands, whatever got your attention somewhere other than the play, if you find an off-color jersey and blast his butt, most of the time good things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we we try to teach those kinds of things. And when it comes to practice, that's the same thing. When I, I, I'll leave you with this. The thing that, that – um, one of the things that I learned from, from uh, Brian Kane is this. Every day is game day. If you, if you approach today as if it is Tuesday in the middle of the fall, game three, week three, and again, let's say girlfriend scenario, you just, your girlfriend just broke up with you, then your practice is going to stink. Guess what that's going to do to your Friday? It's going to stink. But if Tuesday – at four o'clock when you're going to practice is game day and you're lighting it up, you're stretching, you're putting the freaking uniform on under the lights, all the stadiums there and the marching band is going and you approach it that way. Then Friday comes. That's the fun. That's the fun. Every stinking game, every day is game day. Hmm. Man, guys, y'all are awesome. That's a ton of wisdom. I've just appreciated it so much. Thank you. Thank you.